Hi, everyone. So before we get started today, a quick note about today's episode. We recorded this episode before all the hullabaloo broke out with coronavirus and COVID-19. So in this episode, any mention of travel, encouragement to travel, talking about excitement of meeting people and talking to strangers, please take all of that with a grain of salt and adhere to all of the precautions in your states, cities, towns, countries that are recommended to you by your governments, etc. And with that, Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Black And, a candid conversation about racism, white people, and ways to move forward. I'm April. And I'm Jonathan. We're brother and sister looking to discuss how race informs important issues, current events, and what white people looking to make a difference can do. On this episode, we're excited to share our conversation with Joe Achelanu, a teacher working in Myanmar, about her experience as a Black woman traveling the globe. Uh, she has really been everywhere, so we're looking forward to that conversation. Uh, but before that, April, what's on your mind? So on this episode, I'd like to talk about something that comes up pretty often and and is really problematic uh, for Black people. It can make Black people feel really bad, um, hmm. so I think it's important to talk about. And that is, you know, woke, well-meaning, anti-racist white people often get the sense that the work that they're doing should only be emphasizing the struggles and the trauma that Black people experience, hmm. the negative aspects of racism and how it affects Black people's lives. Hmm. On the flip side of that, I think something that would be really, really positive, and that's something that's really helpful, is if white people start to not ignore the problems and the and the you know sometimes horrors that Black people experience, but to shed light on the good things as well stories and images and videos that lift up Black people, that mm. share, you know, our wins and our abilities um, and our creativity and our, and our spirit, as opposed to always sharing things that are often violent and graphic and bad and sad and, and traumatic for Black people to see over and over again. So I guess I'm hearing you say, like, you know, he, viewing black people as at least something other than for, for who are our true selves and who we are full selves and who we are and everything we bring to the table and not just the sort of pain and uh, torture that are the problems and that are the important problems. But you're saying, like, focus on our whole selves and not just the bad things. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Obviously, it's easy for us to know, you know, the awesome things about Black culture and, and the Black experience and Black people generally in America. But I think, you know, that stuff is often forgotten, particularly by people who are, are, are working hard to fight racism. I think they get hung up on, you know, Black people being murdered by, by police, the history of racism and slavery in America— um, the horrors that Black people experience today and changing those things and making them right, which is mm -hmm. great. You know, definitely you yeah. can't forget those things. Those things are, those educational pieces are good to spread. Right. But I feel like you'll learn just as much, you know, about Black people and racism and, you know, doing the good work by watching something like uh, Selma. Right. Or, you know, 12 years a slave as you'll watch, you know, watching, I don't know, us. Right. And, and, you know, straight entertainment pieces that happen right. to feature awesome black actors. You know right. what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it, it's embracing the whole of blackness and appreciating the whole of blackness and not just, you know, the only time, you know, if on your sort of, timeline the only time there's you know anything appreciating black people or black culture is when you're posting pictures from like a missions trip with a bunch of little black 
kids around you. Like right. that's trauma porn. That's that's right. you sharing other people's pain um, as a way to sort of build yourself up. And not only is that sort of disingenuous, it is also just not a complete picture of the culture that um, and the race of people that that you're trying to help and trying to to uh, yeah whose issues you're trying to help address. And so and I think and I think sometimes it's underestimated the what good it is and what good it does when white people um, promote and share positive black things and stories for one it helps to quote normalize it um and, and that you know that sort of has its separate issues too but in general you know it's good for white people to see black panther the movie and right. to you know read that comic and right. i keep bringing movies as a reference because it's easy but right. i think you know i think we forget the value in uplifting black excellence and mm-hmm. you know the the great things that black people are doing every day yeah i feel like it is a a lot of the time it's it's interesting to see that the most um the most sort of vocal white ally people who who call themselves allies and anti-racist seeing the people who they the media that they surround themselves with still very much looks like them and still um, the not only the media that they're taking in, but the media that they're putting out, the photos of themselves doing right. fun things throughout their lives. Um, it all, a lot of the time, it seems very homogenous. And, and the only times, like I've, I've referenced this before, the only times you see any sort of <laughs> diversity or difference um, in this, in these folks sphere, it's when there's just pain and suffering happening and so it is one of those things where um you have to it's it seems to me like it would be impossible for even the most well-meaning white person to separate that image and that sort of mindset and categorization of black people um to separate that out and treat the black people in your life just like normal people just like regular folks that are not uh some uh we're not on display here for your uh education and your um as well meaning as it may be um and necessary as it may be does that make sense yeah and i feel like sort of on that same page like you know you're scrolling through facebook and you see a post of let's say a little a a black kid who had a lemonade stand and sold for thousands of dollars great people don't share that Unless the story right. ends up that like he got hazed by his white neighbors, right. or you know, right. some Becky called the police because he didn't have right. a license to sell lemonade right. on the street. Like, yes, right. share that right. story too because it's horrible, and you know those things need to change. But also just share the good story of of you know black people achieving, and not as you know, not insincerely, but. I just think if people are going to focus, if your focus is black people and the black experience and fighting racism, you can't get bogged down or um, caught up in the negative because what that does is that shapes how you see us black people as sad and, you know, needy and, um, Needing of a safety. I don't know. That's the point. Yeah, we you know needing uh, needing you, the white person, to save and help us and validate. Um, right. Yeah. And while it is on white people to fix racism, like we don't need you to validate us as humans. We're right. good. Right. Like we're here. It's your job to get over it. You know. Yeah. Let me ask you this though. So you know. I would imagine that a lot of, you know, let's say like, I'm imagining like a suburban white person who is, doesn't have very many black people in their lives, but is very much into racial justice and is very much into doing as much as they can do to be an ally and anti-racist. You know, I would imagine that that person might feel awkward. We keep going back to social media because it's just an easy example. Sharing like, you know, random images of like, you know, 
cool things that black people are doing because they might think folks will think that they're trying to be a poser or trying to be something that they're not or trying to be, oh, what, do they think they're black? Do they think they're like, you know, are they trying to appropriate this culture? Um, how do people, how do you toe that line of like, you know, people are apprehensive about showing their um, involvement in these issues and their appreciation for this culture and race because they don't want to be judged for it or seem like they're doing something wrong. And, and, and they could very well, you know, be really well-meaning and thinking that they're trying to avoid doing something wrong. What do you, how do you address that? Well, I think it has to be authentic. And so if sharing media and pictures and posts is the only way that you're being an effective ally, that is, that that's a problem. Right. If you show yourself to be a person who is engaged with and involved in the Black community um, and, you know, has close, intimate relationships with Black people, maybe even has, you know, Black family members, right. um, and who is actively participating in outwardly in the fight against racism, your posts about Black people will be seen as authentic because they probably will be. Because that is how you're showing people you're living your life. Right. But I mean, if you don't have any Black friends and you aren't engaged in any Black communities or outlets and you're just posting random things or sharing random stories of happy Black people, that is weird. Right. So I think it's all, it has to all work together. Um, but just as concerned as you are with the trauma and the horrors that Black people experience, you should be just as proud and happy to share the positive black stories that you see. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's totally right. And I think I, I, I notice that a lot when I'm out in the world, interacting with white people who are um, in this, in these spaces, trying to do what's best. Um, a lot of times they're only, and, and, Again, this is problematic. A lot of times their only interactions with people of color are in these spaces where they're doing this work and not just in their normal, regular old lives. So mm -hmm. ask yourself that. Why? What? If you're an anti-racist, a white ally, but the only times you see people of color are when you're doing anti-racism work, racism work, ask yourself why that is. Why is it that you're only the only input that you have in your life from black people about anything is about our struggle and is about our, um, you know, trying to achieve equality. That's all well and good. That's great. But like, why don't, why aren't you hanging out at the movies with your black friend? Why haven't you, right. uh, why aren't your, uh, your, your kids playing with your black neighbors, you know, things like that. Right. So and I feel like if, embrace. if people are, you know, if white people are afraid of, the backlash or ridicule they may receive, I think I would think you'd receive just as much if the only effort you're putting in is just posting when a black person gets shot by the police. Right. You know, that's just as odd or and unhelpful as you just randomly out of the blue posting when, you know, a black person is elected mayor in a town or something. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Sense. So my encouragement, I don't know. I've just been thinking about it a lot, like, especially because I see this all the time on, on social media, especially like it's well-intentioned and it's well-meaning people, white people trying to spread the word about, um, you know, look what, you know, black right. people have to put up on a daily, right. put up with on a daily basis in America. Um, you know, this person was, you know, clearly experiencing racism in the workplace or was sent to jail, um, and falsely accused of something. Yes, spread that you know word and and help to teach people. But you know, when someone does something great, or you know, black people are recognized for positive things, that does a lot of good too. Mm. And it's just yeah. those teachings, those teaching moments, as far as white people spreading the news, are just as important as you spreading the bad things too. I don't know. It sounds simple, but I think it's yeah. I think it's important. No. No, that it makes sense. That, and hey, look, that's what that's what was on your mind. You can't help it. Yeah, I can't help it. Up next, we're excited to share our interview with Joe Achelanu.
Well, hi, Joe. Welcome to Black Inn. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. So, John, tell us how you and and Joe met. Yeah, so we were just sort of talking about this before we started hitting record. And it, it, Joe and I went to college at Temple University together. Um, I think, Joe, you were a few years behind me, maybe? Or maybe I just made yeah. that up. Um, no, I, I think it might have been like probably like two years or something. Yeah. But yeah. And this is one of those instances where I think we met at a party or something and we became Facebook friends because that was like when Facebook was first being invented. Cool. Um, <laughs> and, and so everyone was like, oh, we'll have to be Facebook friends when you meet in real life. Um, and I think that might have been the only time we've ever Tr- you know, like interacted in real life. Interacted one on one in real life. <laughs> yeah. um, that's such a millennial thing to say. Uh, but honestly, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but we've just stayed in touch o- on social media for it's got to be. I mean, that was two thousand, probably six or seven. Um, oh, uh, right, like wow, oh, guys, like, two thousand twenty. <laughs> a long time. Like, Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so... But also, uh, like, how beautiful is social media that it's, like, you can meet someone once and and hit it off and then just be, like, virtual friends after that one Right, meeting. and here we, are, right. here we are recording a podcast interview, like, you know, like... Who yeah. Well, so, speaking of social media, Joe, your Instagram is... Yes. Hoppin. Like... So, oh, Thank you. Yes. Can you tell our listeners? I mean, if anyone goes on your Instagram, it's it's amazing. Can you, you know, give us some background? Tell our listeners how you came to be this world traveler, and you know what what led you abroad. Yeah. So uh, I am a teacher by trade, and so like going back to Temple, uh, I graduated undergrad and I just, it was like the time of the recession and I just could not find work. Like I applied to over a hundred jobs after graduating and people were just like, you just, you just don't have enough experience, Mm. including the organization I worked for, for two years, but it's okay. I'm not sorry. I have fine. Um, and so after that, I was just like, okay, like, what am I going to do so what do you do you get a master's so I went back to school for education and then I taught in the U.S. for four years and I was just like someone's got to give like this is a phrase that people at my old work used to say I was like kind of concerned that I was going to become a lifer you know like get into the job, you know, get tenure and just like stay until retirement. And truth be told, I was one day away from tenure when I was like, no, I, I can't, I wow. can't do this. Wow. Change something. So I went to an international teaching fair in New York. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Truly. I just like knew that these fairs existed. Didn't know what I was really looking for. Didn't know what questions I should ask because the international teaching circuit and the domestic teaching circuit are two completely different animals. But I was like, fuck it. Like, I'm just, yeah. All right. You offered me a job. I'm going to go to Myanmar. (laughs) And that is exactly what I did. That's amazing. So I literally don't know where Myanmar is, and like <laughs> seriously, like, no, I'm, this is a this is a big issue for me. My geography is not good. I'm, we are not on point. So okay, well, you're like eleven and a half hours away from East Coast or something like that, like some crazy, yeah, like, yeah, it's the other side of the world, basically. It's yeah, and the half hour thing, like, really gets me. I'm just like, I thought time zones were like. Right the hour right so yeah um okay well to be I'm honest the prime meridian that's all i remember prime <laughs> meridian oh, i don't even know what that means we are a step ahead <laughs> I of you. That. all i know end of knowledge <laughs> uh honestly i didn't know where myanmar was before i accepted this job either uh, i knew it was in southeast asia but like couldn't tell you where uh so myanmar uh, formerly known as Burma, for listeners who know where Burma is. Right. Um, but it's, like, right next to Thailand. So where I am, Yangon, uh, is just a one-hour flight from Bangkok. And then, like, we also have Vietnam. So if you know where, like, Thailand and Vietnam and, like, Cambodia yeah. are, 
that's the general geographical region that Myanmar is in. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay so, cool. That paints a picture. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> just to set the scene, when we say that your uh, your social media presence is like on and popping, it's like you're this jet setter. You've traveled to all parts of the globe, it seems, um, and you are you visit these locations that are beautiful and colorful and you are all about like posing yourself in these locations in the like most artistic and beautiful ways. I just love it. Um, (laughs) It is. So it is something it's striking for me though. And this is sort of a segue into the, um, the, our conversation, the sort of subject of our conversation is I'm just not used to seeing black people in all of these spaces. Um, and it is because maybe that's my, that's my circle and my friends who are, my friends who are black don't maybe don't travel. And my friends who do travel to these places are like the, the, the sort of, um, my yuppie sort of white friends who do it to sort of, and don't really interact with the folks that live there and that sort of do the (laughs) tourist thing. But you just seem to have immersed yourself in all of these cultures and I love so much seeing you in these spaces. But then I start to think of myself like, okay, well, what would it be like to be a black person, American, um, and all of the things that come along with that in our country mm-hmm. around the world and all of these other spaces? So what is it like um, as a black woman traveling to all of these places abroad and sort of um, – you know, promoting other, you know, promoting that other, other people do it as well. And sort of right. these wonderful scenes. What, what is it like? That's an open-ended question, but it's just, it's one of those things that I just want to hear you talk about. Uh, you know, I will say that a lot of times I tend to be the only black face. Right. And when I do see um, other people, well, I can't even say people of color because I, live in Asia. So by American standards, they would also be people of color. So and then when I do see other black people, I always get like a little flutter of excitement. Um, And it's, it's definitely a curious experience being in this part of the world, because in a lot of parts of Europe, you know, I run into black people relatively frequently, and it's not as much of a drastic shift as it has been in Southeast Asia. Um, But as far as that's concerned, I almost feel like my upbringing has really prepared me for this moment because I went to like private Catholic school where Mm -hmm. like my siblings and I were the only black people in school. And so it just has kind of become a way for me to kind of like, defy our expectations of people in a way, you know, that because a lot of people do have that belief that travel is not for black people, or you have to have a lot of money to travel. Right. You have to do this, you have to do that. And that's not the case at all. I don't think it's new. Like if we think back historically, as far as like American history is concerned, like uh, the Harlem Renaissance was a moment in which Black creatives were kind of like tired of the way that they were being treated and they left. And so I think that this spirit Mm. of travel is like so deep within us that it was inevitable that a resurgence was was going Mm. to occur. So like if you look at any of the major players in the Harlem Renaissance, many of them spent at least a short time in Europe or like left the U.S. entirely because they found more tolerance somewhere else. And so I think that's just Mm -hmm. something that we're beginning Mm -hmm. to explore again. So, okay, so you're going to all these different countries. um, Mm -hmm. And so as a Black woman, do you feel well-received? You say you don't don't often see other Black people, um, but is is it any different than America? Oh, for sure. I can say that. And also it depends on the geographical region I'm in. So as far as Southeast Asia, like truly, as far as Southeast Asia is concerned, I'm, I'm mostly met with curiosity, like good intention, you know, a lot of stares, 
a lot of like so many stares, Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's never, it's never with hostility. Uh, It's always just uh, with like, huh, Mm. this is like, you know what I, what I mean? But like, I will say that sometimes it, it can get frustrating uh, with adults at least like with children. I have all the patience in the world for children. Like, Maybe that's why I'm a teacher, but, teacher, yeah. uh, <laughs> but like when kids stare, I just kind of like smile and wave because like they, they have no clue. Like this is, and you know, being in, in this part of the world, I'm pretty tall, like taller than like your average Myanmar mm-hmm. person. So like, you've got this pretty much like this Amazonian black right. woman <laughs> and like these tiny little kids just like staring up. And I will say more than once they like look back and stare up and like run into like their parents' leg or like <laughs> accidentally because they're just so like, whoa, you know? Um, and like adults will stare too, but I will say that sometimes they get a little bit frustrated with adults because I'm like, you're an adult you should know that that's like not acceptable sometimes. Right. right. Just uh, generally like, rude. <laughs> right. Just generally rude. Or like there have been like in Bali, I was in a taxi with two of my um, non-black friends and the taxi driver like calls up his friend on Skype to show him that there's like a black person in the car. And like wow. that Gosh. really, yeah, yeah, that was like, really frustrating or you know in the u.s at least there's a, an appropriate amount of time to stare at someone and then like you look yeah. away but right. that doesn't really seem to exist here and so you'll have like grown folks just like staring at me and i've just kind of taken to like staring back and then they yeah. like don't and i'm just like mingalaba which means like hello <laughs> in burmese mm-hmm. and i'm just like if you're gonna stare at least say something you know right. like don't weirdly look at me for this extended period of time. Um, But like in most parts of Europe that I've been to, it's been like a non-issue. I don't really uh, face too many problems. Um, I will say that one of my least favorite airports to travel through has been Paris. um, Mm. Because I think it also has to do with the level of African immigrants that seem mm. to be coming to a place. Mm. So it kind of seems to me that when a country receives an influx of African immigrants, I tend to, I tend to like be received not as well is mm. what it seems like. So like the last time I was in Paris, they were having an influx of African immigrants and, you know, like I get immigration officers doing their job, but just like the level of scrutiny of my passport and the amount of questions and like doubting that my American passport was real, like all Mm -hmm. of these sorts of things. Uh, So yeah, it's, I think there's a lot of variables, but I will say in the grand scheme of things, I am typically received well if and most of the things that happen happen out of curiosity and and not out of, out of malice. So that's mm-hmm. always that's always nice. Yeah. Well, that sort of yeah, that sort of leads into the next question. I mean, yeah. you sort of hinted at this, but do would you say you experience racism abroad the same way that you would experience it in America? Does it look different, or would and would you even call it racism? You know, I think I have been particularly lucky. Like, I'm sure that there have been moments of racism since I've been, like, traveling full-time, but definitely not in the same way that it exists in the U.S. Um, Like, I honestly, I feel like a lot of the discrimination that I face tends to be, uh, like, in places of transport, like the airport, I remember when I was traveling from Croatia to Budapest and I was doing an overnight bus. And I remember like I was in an empty seat and I was like half asleep or whatever. And the bus driver just like aggressively woke me up and told me I needed to move so that these two other people could sit next to each other. Mm-hmm. And like, that was pretty upsetting, but like, from the day to day, from just like 
regular schmegular citizens, I <laughs> don't come across problems. My experience, mm. um, you know, it's it's just like it tends to be in modes of transportation: the mm. the airport, the bus, the the Uber, like moments yeah. like those. That I don't know, maybe some sort of thought or understanding of like what it is to be black and yeah. a level of suspicion in that way. Um, but like at restaurants or just like walking down the street, I would say that I probably face more elements of sexism mm. uh, than I do racism, just like a lot of catcalling and things like that. But that also happens to me in the U.S. Sure. Yeah. I'd be interested to just take a step back real quick. So could you just rattle off a bunch of places that you've been so people know what we're talking about here? Because, like, I don't think people understand <laughs> the extent. So I'm always, like, seeing these places. I'm like, how the hell? Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, let's see. Uh, I'll just do, oh, like, where favorites. I was. Oh, some of my favorites. Okay. Uh, Portugal. It's where my brother got married. Um, and then Malta. Oh, my God. Malta is amazing and beautiful. Uh, let's see, Thailand, Vietnam, love Vietnam. Uh, sometimes it, it gets a little muddled. Oh, this past winter I summited Kilimanjaro and I had an eight wow. hour layover in, uh, Nairobi, Kenya. And so I took full advantage of that. Where else oh, have I been? Um, oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, Indonesia, uh, a lot of Europe. So I've been to France, England. Oh, I already mentioned places in Europe. Right. Uh, I've been Nigeria, that's where my family is from. Um, where else? So I did a, a semester abroad in Argentina in university. Um, but exclusive, I'm actually going to be moving to Guatemala in July. Oh, wow. so, you yeah, heard it so like first, <laughs> you heard it there, for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like these next two years, I'm going to be focusing on exploring Central and South America. So I'm really excited about that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh. I did want to just sort of pause. Oh, in Mexico. And... Sorry. Also, okay. I've, been to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even been to Mexico. This is sad. I know. I Girl. live now currently <sighs> two hours from Mexico and I should just go. But like, Yeah, you really should. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> like, I think people get like, I think people are just like so scared of like how different it's going to be. But like, yeah. honestly, getting lost is sometimes one of my favorite things to do. And like in the moment, yeah, it's like super stressful and like infuriating or whatever but then right. once you find where you're looking for you're like i did it yes i did right. it and people <laughs> are like typically speaking you stick out and people are like oh that person is a foreigner and they're right. lost let me mm -hmm. help them you know mm -hmm. right. not so bad in the right direction exactly exactly yeah. overall p i do believe that people are good so mm. that's good that's hard to disagree, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just, you know, we're not going to change your minds today. So. <laughs> I do want to just point out, though, so sort of back to what we were talking about before, about you ex maybe experiencing racism abroad and how you're received in other countries. Just wanted to, to note to our, our listeners, our white listeners, that this is something we've talked about before, mm -hmm. but recognizing that black people have to be aware of themselves yes. wherever we go. It's not, we don't have the privilege of, you know, just not even considering our blackness when we mm. travel because it's, it, we're, we're made, we're reminded of it. We're forced to be reminded of it by yeah. the way people look at us, by how we're treated, um, by, what people say and, you know, by mean bus drivers shoving you out of someone else's way. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, it's something that white people can take for granted because you, you know, have, you're the quote norm in the world. So wherever you go, you're well-received. And that's right. just not a reality for black people. And it's, it's, you know, unfortunate and something that I really want to remind our white listeners of because it's so, it you as a black person you're forced to be so conscious of yourself yeah and yeah and, and it's a, just an added that's stressor 
Yeah. And on that subject, like now that you said that I'm remembering one thing that I often Google before I go to a country is like black people plus that country or like mm-hmm. uh, racism against black people in said country, just so that I can be better informed and like know how to potentially prepare myself or decide if that's a place that I really need to be mm-hmm. because like that's, you know, being a solo traveler, like I don't want to be alone and something horrific happened. Like I have, I feel very fortunate that I've not been in that in a situation that is so traumatic that it would stop me from living this life. But yeah, it definitely is a concern or even feeling like a zoo animal at moments when people are trying to take pictures of me without my consent. And like, it's a a very obvious way or like asking to take pictures. And I just want to say for like, first time travelers or like people who are new to black people in particular who are new to traveling don't ever feel like you need to take a photo with with someone Mm -hmm. you know at Mm -hmm. first it might be like oh it's funny they want to take a picture with me this that and the third and I'm and I'm sure I was like that at first too when I started this whole life or whatever but as time goes on it's just like you really begin to question the the motive behind it and it's like who knows where you're going to post that? Who knows what you're going to say about me when you post that? What sort of mm-hmm. light you're going to put yeah. me in as a person of color? And it's just like, no, you may not. You know, or just trying to, a couple months ago, I was down at the one of the beaches here in Myanmar. And, like, my friend and I, he's, like, a white guy or whatever. We were just sort of, like, walking on the beach. And this Myanmar woman just, like, walks up like relatively quickly, like with her camera out very obviously, cause we were the only two people in the water and like very clearly filming. And I said, one of the like five things I know in Burmese to her that basically translates into, I don't like that. And nothing shocks like a, a person yeah. from that country than mm. like saying something in their language. Like, right. Whoa, not only is she black, but she's also speaking a language that I understand, you know, right. yeah. and that like, end to it but it's just like you know there are times when I do have a hard time enjoying myself because I have to be hyper vigilant about like who's trying to discreetly take a photo of me or like who's trying to touch my hair which is also something that happens in the U.S. but it's just like these smaller I don't even know that I would like call them microaggressions because they're like those things are still pretty in your face but pretty macro um yeah so I have a question. So, I, you know, I'm thinking I, what I hear a lot um, is when people try to uh, make excuses for racism, I guess, is what it is um, when they yeah. say uh, th- it's natural that people of different races don't get along and don't. And there are wars between them on that basis. It's look all over the world. There are different there's racism in every country. Right. Um and so that's what people will say. This is not a white person problem. And this is, again, when we're talking about the United States particular flavor of racism, people say, well, look all over the world. White people didn't invent racism. We didn't, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. Can you talk about how some of these instances, and I guess I'm asking you to guess here, but some of these instances might have been different for you if you weren't a black woman. So still a foreigner to these um, to these folks, but would that bus driver have come up and shaken you like that to wake you up if you were a white man? Um, you know, I could say with almost guarantee that he wouldn't because after the whole situation happened, I kind of like looked around the bus and I took inventory. Like he could have moved that white person. He could have right. moved that white person, but no, he like actively chose to move and like aggressively wake right. me up, you know? Right. And, and I want to say that like, Okay, maybe white people didn't invent racism. I don't. I don't think that that's necessarily right. true. But they. Right. But there's certainly actors in like perpetuating it and having right. it continue to be a thing, and so like, it's important to take ownership where, where it needs to be had ultimately. You know, and if you just if you think about how the world is right now with like Trump in power, like that, I feel like 
there's a sort of ripple effect that is occurring throughout the world. Uh, and I don't know. I don't even know like how to, like, I just know that things would be a lot easier for me if I was white and if I were a man traveling, mm. you know, just like, just like the way these, these white men just so easily go from place to place and like the level of respect they get for a lot of times just being white, like even in, even Mm -hmm. in my workplace, quite frankly, you know, it's very clear to me that, and I'm relatively new to international teaching. And so maybe this will be a change that occurs. I don't know, but it appears to me that in at least the international circuit that I am in right now in this country, very specifically that, and let me say at my school specifically, I won't throw them under the bus. That's fine. But it's very (laughs) clear that parents are most interested in having their child be taught by white teachers. And so that's like a whole new level of, of like racism that I'm just like, I cannot anymore. Like this is natives to Myanmar. Right. Because, well, yes, but we also have to remember historically speaking, they were colonized by the, by the British. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) and then by Japan. So it's just, this is is such a huge, so, so it, it is, it is people don't understand that while, a white man can come to the country that you're in right now and still be in the teeny tiny minority. He will mm-hmm. still be looked at as the sought after. He's the, he's the type of person I want running the business or he, or she's the type yeah. of teacher I want teaching my child. If it's going to be at an international school, especially, you know, I want a, you know, a white American or a, a, the, the mm-hmm. picture of what, of what, uh, quintessential good American would be. Um, people don't understand that that is, that's because of white supremacy. That is because right. of the colonization you just mentioned. It's because of the way that uh, people from the continent of Africa and surrounding areas with dark skin were mm-hmm. treated and, to- and told throughout the globe that um, that they were less than. That, you know, I heard someone say this once, and I forget, I forget who, I, I wish I could quote it, but there isn't a, that I can think of an instance throughout history where white people have moved right. into a new area with a new group of, a, diff, a group of people that looks racially different than they do. And there was just peace and happiness and no one got fucked over. Um, it right. was, that's never happened. It's always, you know, war, slavery, famine, resources and then it all the while putting down this other race because they're not white and so that's global that's britain there isn't a country britain hasn't invaded pretty much you know um right and so yeah i just i i don't have a there's no question here it's just that like of course racism is different everywhere you go but there are some things that are consistent which is that white people have gone around the globe and Mm -hmm made sure that there were some truths at play here, which is that the darker your skin is, the more yes. different you are from whoever you are there with, no matter if they're a whole continent of people that don't have dark skin either, but who are not white, you're still different than they right. are. And it's to your detriment. So sorry. Yeah, that it's, is little... it's totally to like the othering effect. And, you know, this may be like a good place to maybe address colorism. So, you know, in the U S a lot of times it's like, racism with like white and black but throughout the world there is an element of colorism and like you said the darker your skin is the worse you will likely be treated like i'm not sure i don't know that i can like really think of a place where that isn't true and there might be variations like it might not be to the level that racism exists in the united states but you might not like I don't know. I was going to say you might not get the job, but that happens in the U.S. too. Right. Well, and so but, there are, but people, that's why I say people, there aren't very many other countries that are still in like operation right now. I mean, you can count them on two hands that where 
there was a straight up enslavement of a whole race of people. And those people are still part of that country now, years later after the enslavement is over. So we have our own special little brand of racism here that mm -hmm. is built on slavery, which of course, U.S. didn't invent slavery, but it's a lot more harsh here because there were brand a lot of times branded as black folks of course are branded as not even people and so that right. can't you don't rise to the level of superpower around the world and not have that sentiment trickle out to the rest of the globe um especially if you've preceded that being you being britain with generations and generations of colonization and rape and torture and brutalizing brown people um right. and just you have to yeah, you and your stereotypical, uh, your your we'll put a your place setter, your white male friend who is going to go on all these trips with you would be treated so differently, and you can attest to that. It sounds like that's what you're saying now, and I'm so happy to have that be affirmed because I was like, I feel like this is the case. And, like, <laughs> no, but I think like going back to that, I think what's important is like surrounding. I mean, it's the same in the U.S., but, like, surrounding yourself with people who are going to, like, see it and call it out. So, like, my friend from work who I went to down to the beach with, and he saw that he was like, no, no, not okay, you know? And he was right. just, like, right there next to me, like, supporting the fact that this is not how we act, this is not how we behave, and that's that's just as important than me yeah. having to constantly stand up for myself is, you know, the, these allies who are going to do the same because sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, it's not safe for us to say anything, you know, mm -hmm. and that's also something like on the bus uh, to Budapest. Did I want to say something? Absolutely. But the potential consequences is that bus driver kicks me off the bus and then I'm stuck somewhere between Croatia and Budapest with right, no way what. to get to. Exactly. So it's just like now I just have to suck it up. I, I can't call this out. But potentially if I was traveling with someone right. who was a white person, they could have said something to that bus driver and kept that environment like safer for me. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sort of, sort of on that on that uh, same topic, we like to um, often end our conversations with some uh, advice or actions for for white people. Um, so, in that respect, um, what, in your opinion, can white people do, uh, like your friend you mentioned, to support black people's efforts to travel abroad what do you want white people to know about what it's like for black people and what can they do to help so one thing that i really want white people to know is like be comfortable with with being uncomfortable for one you know mm -hmm. don't come into a foreign space and expect things to be at the level of comfort that you might be used to. Uh, it's not about you. If you wanted things to be the same as they were, then you are kind of better off staying home. It's about the experience and, and gaining something from that experience. That's one thing. Um, mm. As far as uh, some more like, a few more like very easily tangible things to do. There's a couple of organizations that have actually like been coming up in, in my social media feeds quite a bit that, you know, I would really love more people to know about. I have absolutely no affiliation. I just think that their mission is seemingly very wonderful. Um, so there's this one organization called black youth abroad, yeah. which does what it names its name suggests and uh so their goal is to get young black people abroad to experience these things outside of the u.s because you know the more you see the more you learn the more tolerant you become um so yeah that's black youth abroad so you could always donate to that to make it more feasible for young black people to travel and another one that i'm super excited about um i don't think that i qualify since i've already been to continental africa but you know how um people of jewish ancestry have like birthright and they get to go mm -hmm. to israel yeah so mm -hmm. there's this organization mm -hmm. 
who has started Birthright Africa. And I think it's from ages either 16 or 18 to 30. And yeah, its mission is to bring uh, young Black people to Ghana to have that experience. And like leading up to the trip, they do all of these different cultural things. And so that's like another place that white folks could donate to, again, make it more feasible for Black people to join in this this global experience of traveling. Wow. Well, Joe, this has been fabulous. Uh, thank you so much for talking with us. Um, and I am just so excited to share this with our listeners. Yeah, I'm excited too. And everyone should get a passport and like go somewhere, like leave the U.S. at least once in your life. Ideally more, but you know, mm-hmm. at least. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. And now it's time for this episode's action item. So for this episode, this action item is super simple. I want to encourage white people to say hello to black people. And I literally mean that. If you are walking on the street, if you are in a mall, do malls exist still? They won't in a couple of years, but yeah, you get it. Apartment store, if you are um, walking past your neighbor, walking past a stranger, just say hi or give a little wave or or a head nod. Nothing more, nothing less. It's acknowledging someone else's existence when you probably otherwise would not have and would have just ignored them. And I'm throwing this in here too. If, if you're the person, oh, I say hi to everyone. Good. Then this will be easy for you. Great. Yeah. And if you're the person who says, I don't speak to anyone. Well, then here's your call to action. Easy enough. This episode of Black Ann was produced by us, April and Jonathan Perkins. It was edited by me, and our music is by Fifth Child. You can find more of his work at fifthchildmusic.com. That's number five, fifthchildmusic.com. You can find Black Ann wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you heard today, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Also, be sure to tell your friends. And until next time, be mindful, be vigilant, and and keep keep asking asking questions. questions.